This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. Thrilled to see you on the Sunday after Easter. If you come back after Easter, you're the real ones. So uh, good to see you. Uh, so, so glad that we get to worship with you. If you're in the room, if you're online, either way, we're happy that you're here with us. Um, just a little kind of housekeeping to get out of the way. If you are relatively new to Christian Chapel, then there's a potential you're going to have an experience this morning for the very first time. Um, there's a a forecast for some rain. I think maybe it'll get a little stronger. You might not know this. We have a flat roof, and if you look above, it's metal. And so what happens is it doesn't even have to rain hard, and it sounds like we are in Noah's Ark inside of here. So so all that to be said, if it starts, I'll just talk louder. It's not going to bother me. It doesn't have to bother you. But uh, if you will help me just get one thing out of the way real quick, will everyone just kind of look up at the ceiling? Okay, now look back. Now we've all got it out of our system. So if it rains, you don't have to look, like you can know it's raining without looking up. Your, your ears are telling you the truth. That is rain. It's not an airplane landing on the building. It is not people walking around on the roof. It's not any of the other things people have asked me over the years. It is purely rain. So uh, we're going in. Feel free to pass that news along to others as we enter into the spring in Oklahoma. But hey, today we are kicking off a new message series called Witness tell your story. And so over the next uh, seven or eight weeks, probably into at least the first to middle part of June, we're going to explore some of the stories in the New Testament where people come to faith in Jesus and then see how Jesus changes their life and how their stories of conversion and salvation encourage us to have the same experience. Uh, Before we do that, though, if you have a Bible, we'll get to it in just a moment. You can turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we find um, Jesus giving the disciples his last instructions before he leaves. So last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus, where Acts chapter 1 picks up is about 40 days later. They're on a mountain outside of the city. Jesus has gathered his disciples with him along with some other followers, and he's giving them his last words. So all the words of Jesus are important, but if these are his last words, I think they're, they're worth our time and attention this morning. We're going to lock in, especially on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so if you have it in the Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it'll be here on the screen. Jesus tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today we're going to work our way through this verse a little out of order, um, but, but to see what it teaches us about being a witness and how it uh, shows us God's way for us and God's place for, for us to tell our story. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know um, if you grew up in church, if you have much of a church background. If so, the idea of witnessing might be kind of alarming to you. And especially when you hear me say, we are witnesses What some of us hear is we are going witnessing, right? And we view it as something we do. What I want to help you understand this morning is it's actually someone you are. Right, so, so if you think witnessing is something you do, then depending on your church background, you might have some uh, PTSD, right? Because you might think witnessing means, oh man, after church, they're going to make us go knock on doors, right? And they're going to make us, like, it means I've got to start every conversation with somebody I don't know of. Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Um, you think it means when you go to a restaurant this afternoon and the waitress brings you your bill and says, is there anything else that you say, actually, there is, 
Do you know where you would go if you died on the way home tonight? It, you know, and, and so you've just kind of, you've created all of these things. You think it means you've got to stand up and preach a sermon at work or in the cafeteria at school. You think it's for the weirdos with the bullhorn on the street corner. And you've just kind of decided, I don't want any of that. And if that's what you've decided, I just want you to know I'm right there with you. I don't want any of that either, right? Sometimes we think witnessing, that's something for the extroverts. That's something for the people who've never met a stranger. And yet what we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is Jesus doesn't say you will receive power and you'll go witnessing as a church event. He says you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus is teaching us is to be a Christian is to be a witness, There's no such thing as a non-witnessing Christian because it's not an activity you engage in. It is who you are. In the same way that to be human is to breathe air, to be a Christian is to be a witness. And it's not about learning a program, learning a gimmick, learning a technique. It's not about being able to preach a sermon or answer every question anyone has about the Bible. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't need to be able to answer the problem of evil and suffering in the world. You don't have to do any of that. But at its most basic element, to be a witness for Jesus is just to make the decision, I'm going to tell the story of what he's done in my life. Peter and John, they give us an example of this in Acts chapter 4. So Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples have went back and they have sought out a, a place where they begin to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. After they pray, the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says that they speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. It's the birthplace of the church. The church begins to launch out. Peter and John begin to travel around in Jerusalem and they're telling people about Jesus and Jesus is confirming their message with signs and wonders. He's healing people, doing incredible things, and more and more people are coming to follow Jesus. Well, the same religious leaders that killed Jesus, they're not happy about all of these changes that they see. And so they drag Peter and John before them and start to threaten them and tell them, you can't do this anymore. But because they're witnesses and because they have a story to tell, they have a very simple answer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, they say, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Right? This is, this is the, the simplest definition of what it means to be a witness. A witness is someone who talks about what they have seen and heard. And so if, if you're here this morning and you think, I, I, don't, I don't know that I could say that. I don't know that I can tell anyone about Jesus. I don't know, you know, and, and really kind of what you're having to acknowledge is you haven't seen or heard anything because you're just living a Jesus adjacent life. Like he's kind of close to you and you know some stuff about him and you think he's good for other people, but you haven't actually experienced him for yourself. If you don't have your own stories of grace and mercy, if you don't have your own stories of hope and forgiveness, if you don't have your own stories of restoration and provision, you can't be a witness because a witness has to be telling about what they've seen and heard. So it means that people don't need to know your grandma's story from you. They don't need to know about a cool story you read online from someone else that God provided for. They don't need to hear a historical example. What they need and want to hear is what has Jesus done for you? And so the first decision we have to make is, do I actually have a story to tell? And if we do, then I've got to make the decision. I'm just going to tell my story. 
I'm just going to start to talk to other people about, hey, this is what God has done for me. And so if, if you're on the spot this morning where you say, I don't think I can witness because I haven't had that, then the good news is today your story starts. Today you surrender to Jesus. You experience forgiveness. You find new life. And as you do, then you're going to find his provision. Then you're going to find his restoration. Then you're going to find him doing all these incredible things in your life. And where you thought your life was dull and void and lifeless, suddenly it's going to blossom and you're going to have good news after good news after good news to tell to everyone you interact with to where you can say with Peter and John, I can't help but tell you about what I've seen and heard. I have to tell my story. And even there, there's, for some of us, there's a disconnect of, okay, I get that I should, um, but, but that still makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I don't know how to talk about spiritual things. And so, so there, my encouragement to you is very simple. If, if Jesus really consumes your life, then he's going to weave himself into every story you tell. Now, if I had time this week to schedule a lunch or dinner appointment with everyone in the room... We would go out and we'd sit down and if we know each other well, we'd jump straight into conversations. If we don't, then there's going to be some of that background conversation that occurs. But what's really going to happen the whole time we're there is you're going to tell me your stories and I'm going to tell you my stories. You're going to tell me about your hometown. You're going to tell me about your family that you grew up in. You're going to tell me about your, your family that you live with right now, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, whoever it is. You'll tell me about your work. You'll tell me about your school. You'll tell me about your hobbies. Right? You might tell me about your essential oils and your CrossFit and all of these other things. And as you tell them, you're not going to feel bad telling me about any of it. right? Why? Because these are the things that matter to you and these are the things that are important to you. And if Jesus is matters and is important to you, then woven into all of those stories is going to be the story of Jesus. He's not something separate that you talk about. He's part of everything you talk about. And so as I start to tell you my story, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm going to tell you about my wife, Angie. And I'm going to tell you about how when I was 19 years old, I believe God spent a spirit of confusion over her mind so that she would agree to marry me. Because it's the only logical explanation for why she would think a 19-year-old kid with a dumb and dumber haircut on a biblical studies track in college was a promising candidate for her future. There was nothing that made sense, and yet God directed us together. I'm going to tell you about my three teenagers, and I'm going to tell you about how much joy they bring to my life and what gifts from God they are to us. I'm going to tell you about the way we see God's hand at work in their life and how they're learning and growing. And I'm going to tell you honestly about how Angie and I, parenting three teenagers, are brought to our knees frequently saying, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom, give us discernment, help us see the path, help us to find that, that little sweet spot between, hey, we want you guys to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit versus we know what he says, just trust us, right? We, we're trying to navigate that, and I can't tell you the story of being a parent without telling you the story of following Jesus. If we're talking, I'm going to start telling you about Christian Chapel, not just as my job, but as a community where God has planted me and my family, the place where my friends are, the place where I've received life and hope. I'm going to tell you the stories like Pastor Chris did earlier of refugee families whose lives are being changed by some of the coolest people I know who will give their time, their energy, and their talent to help others know wholeness of life. And if we have time, we're going to talk about all sorts of other things that don't seem to matter as much. We're going to talk about basketball and bird dogs and big trucks. And we're going to talk about finances and our health and politics. And woven into every one of those conversations is going to be the story of Jesus. Because I can't separate him from any part of my life.
go do with our Christian friends to make ourselves feel better. It is who we are everywhere we go at every moment of every day. What we'll learn throughout this series is that that witnesses are those people who will talk about anything just to get a chance to tell the story of the one who gives meaning to everything. Where where you begin to learn through the power of the Holy Spirit in you that you you don't have to be the, the greatest intellect to tell the story of Jesus. You don't have to be the most socially adept person to tell the story of Jesus. You don't have to be the most extroverted person to tell the story of Jesus, but you just, when you talk about your life with other people who are around you, you are going to tell his story because all of your life is wrapped up in him and all of your life has been changed by him. And my hope for you is that you experience what I've experienced. Of when witness is not what I do, but it's who I am, it takes all the pressure off. Because I don't have to worry about, am I going to stumble over my words? Am I going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time? To the wrong? I can just hang out and know it's just a conversation. And God's going to bring them over and over and over again. And my only job is every day to get up and say, Lord, help me to be open to where you lead me and to tell your stories everywhere I go and in everything I do. Us, there is, there's still that moment of, yeah, that might be easy for you because you talk a lot. Um, but I, I, any of you feel like you have a gift of putting your foot in your mouth, right? Anybody willing to acknowledge that? Okay. How many, this one might be a little bit, a little more uncomfortable. Anybody willing to acknowledge like you make things awkward and weird sometimes? Yeah. Some of you do it on purpose because you think it's funny. Uh, some of you do it with not on purpose and actually that's funny. Uh, but, but you know, there's just, some of us have this gift of awkwardness. Where we just, you know, somebody says something and, and we know what normal people say. And yet somehow we can never quite say it. Right? We see a, a woman who's nine months pregnant. And instead of saying, wow, the Lord has blessed you, it comes out, you're huge. And we're just like, did I just, I said that out loud. And then we try to make it better. Of Like, I mean, I've seen bigger. Uh, my grandpa had a farm and some of those cows. And you're just like, what? stop, 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 stop. Now, if you have those gifts, there can be a fear, or maybe you just have the gifts of insecurity, right? And you're just thinking, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Maybe you feel like you've been gifted with inadequacy, and you think, I'll never get it right, I'll, I'll never do it well enough. Maybe you think you just, you're insignificant, no one wants to hear your story, no one cares what you say. And so you hear me this morning saying, you are a witness, and you're like, yeah, but literally, I'm not telling the story. I'm not telling it to anyone. I'm not talking to anyone. If I try, I'll mess it up. If I try, they won't want to hear. And, and so you just, you kind of start to shy away from it before you even give it a try. But Jesus, he, he anticipates our weakness and he provides an answer for us. You go back to the beginning of Acts chapter one, verse eight, and he tells us, you will receive power. And when Jesus is there, all through Acts chapter 1, what we see is this idea of Jesus telling the disciples, before you start doing the things I've told you to do, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. It was never Jesus' plan for the disciples to launch out in their own effort and give it their best shot. He always intended to give them all the power they needed to accomplish all that he would put before them. And that power was going to come through the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. They were not to go back to Jerusalem and wait for 10 tips for witnessing. They were not to go back and work on some character development and spiritual discipline. They were to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will will receive power. 
What this means is God's intention for your life is that everything you do, everywhere you go, is is on the foundation of the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. So this adds significance and meaning to everything. That that PTA meeting is not just a PTA meeting. It's a place where you go carrying the Holy Spirit with you to tell the story of Jesus. That budget planning committee is not just another thing you got to knock out on a Monday morning. It's an opportunity for you to be a witness. When you coach your kids, when you go to school, when you're at the gym, when you're in the neighborhood, everywhere you go and everything you do, the intention of Jesus is that you will go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is his promise to us. I love the way Dr. Uh, Ajith Fernando puts this. He says, whoever we are and whatever we do for God, our great desire should be to be filled with God's spirit so that our work will spring from his resulting power. I love that because he's he's telling us, hey, Acts 1-8 is not just for preachers, pastors, and missionaries. It's for all of us. It's not just for the things that we would typically ascribe to ministry work. It's for all work and all of life. And every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ should also seek the infilling power of his Holy Spirit for everything you have to do. What Acts 1-8 is teaching us is, hey, whatever you're doing tomorrow, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it well. Whatever task is in front of you, you need the Spirit with you. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now works in your life to help you see how the everyday, ordinary, and mundane become opportunities to tell the eternally significant story of Jesus. To tell about what you've seen and heard and to invite others into it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who helps you overcome that initial fear. Right, that feeling of, I can't do it, I'm going to mess it up. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you a gift of faith that says, no, I've called for this. I've filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I will just take the step and begin to tell my story. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you know when in a conversation at work to shift from the project at hand to the God who is always at hand. It's the Holy Spirit who helps you as a mom know when you're talking to your friend and giving giving parenting advice, when to shift that conversation and start to tell them about the true source of your wisdom, hope, and peace as a parent. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and helps us do that in a way that's not weird. Who helps us just make some natural conversation bridges from everything that everyone talks about to the thing everybody needs to actually hear about. And then as you open your mouth and you begin to speak and witness to tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and gives you the words to speak. I mean, I I don't know how many times in my life so many of you have told me that story as well. Man, I I was talking with a friend, a family, a co-worker, and I started to tell them some of the things I felt like the Lord was putting in my heart. And before I knew it, I, I said things I didn't even know. And they said things. I mean, I've had this experience so many times where people have come back to me and they've said, do you remember when you told me? And they'll say something that sounds so intelligent and eloquent that I think there's no way I told you that. Like, I can't string those words together in that way. Plus, I know it wasn't me because you said it back to me in about 20 seconds, and I clearly would have taken five minutes to get to that point. Like, I would have circled that runway a hundred times before I would have landed on that little statement. And yet, what's happening? When you start to speak, the Spirit speaks through you. And He uses your words most often to put language on the longings He has already initiated in the heart of the person you're speaking to. You will never speak to anyone. 
that the Holy Spirit is not already drawing to Jesus. All he's asking you to do is, hey, just tell your story. And as you tell your story, he's going to use it to help them find their place in the story of Jesus. It happens again and again and again. So those four words, let's, let's just think about them individually. You will receive power. So the first one, you. Now, Jesus obviously has an audience that day. There are people who have gathered with him on the side of that mountain. They're about to witness the ascension, even though they don't know it. So when he says you, clearly he means everyone who's gathered there that day. But that you also crosses time and place. It's a you that extends until Jesus returns to every person who puts their faith in him. It's a you that is for you and me today. It's a you that we hear not just for the people around us, but we're intended to hear personally. You, 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 you will receive power. What it means is the Holy Spirit is not just for people who really want it. It's not just for the spiritually disciplined. It's not just for the people who grew up in church. The Holy Spirit is not just for your weird aunt that watches Christian television all day long. Right? The Holy Spirit is not just for that person who really likes to pray or listens to a lot of worship music. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to everyone who puts their faith in him. And what we see a gathered group of disciples. These are men and women who have already placed their faith in the resurrected Jesus. They are the first Christians. And what Jesus is telling them is, you have an experience of me. You're following me, right? This is where we would be when we say yes to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. We begin a relationship with him. We're fully saved. Acts 1.8 is not about how to become a Christian. It's how to live with power as a Christian. You have me, now receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here this morning and you think, I don't need that, you're missing out because this is a personal desire from God for you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you will. Not you might, not you could, not you should, not maybe if you hold your hands in the right way, not if the lights in the room come down to the right level and the music swells at the same time. Not if it's somebody extra holy who's praying for you. Not if you read your Bible enough. Not if you beg and plead enough. Not if you make enough bargains with God. No, no, no. Just you will. You will. Everyone in the same way that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Everyone who surrenders to the presence of the Holy Spirit will receive power. That's not reserved for some spiritual elite class. You will. You're going to. And he says you're going to receive it. You're not going to earn the Holy Spirit. You're not going to deserve the Holy Spirit. You will never make your life holy enough through your own efforts to deserve to be the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. You will never be righteous enough that he looks and says, that's where I want to be. Our only hope for the Holy Spirit to come to us is through the forgiveness and new life of Jesus Christ. And as we commit our lives to him, we then become the place where his spirit dwells. When his spirit dwells, what Jesus says is now we are to seek this experience of power. We are to cry out and say, Lord, I want to have what you said you are going to give me. We see this with the disciples. They are gathered outside of Jerusalem and Jesus tells them, go back to Jerusalem. 
He ascends to heaven and they kind of stand there staring up, understandably so, right? Of what just happened? Where did he go? Is he coming back? And then an angel appears and says, why are you standing around staring at the sky? Go back to Jerusalem. Do what he told you, right? Apparently angels talk like your mom. So they just very direct to the point, go do it right now. So what do they do? They, they march themselves back to Jerusalem. They gather in an upper room and they just stay in a posture of reception. And they say, Jesus, if you promise this and we need it, then we're going to stay here till we get it. And they pray and they pray and they pray. There's about 40 days that pass between the ascension and the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, it says, well, they are all gathered together. The Holy Spirit falls and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. It was a physical sign to them of the Spirit has arrived. And so what that means for you and I today is if we want the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask and seek it until we receive it. Because we have a promise, it's for us. We have a promise, we're going to receive it. We just have to wait. And we have to put ourselves in a position to receive. And, and so that's, it's not super complicated. It can happen in a service. It can happen at home. It can happen in your car. It's just you surrendering to the Holy Spirit every day and saying, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes in his power, you're never going to question if he showed up or not. And we see this all through Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes, people know and people around them know. And so when you're saying, Holy Spirit, come, you're just saying, I, I recognize that I cannot do all Jesus has called me to do in my own power. This is why we're, we're starting this series in Acts chapter 1-8 instead of with the story of Peter or Matthew or the woman at the well. Because we could start in those other places and tell you now go and do like they did. Go and put these principles into practice. But if your witness is not empowered by the Spirit, it will not be effective. Jesus never intended for you to try to accomplish His plans in your power but always through his. And that's the last thing we see. He says, you will receive power. And that idea of power is, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to overcome your fear and begin to tell your story. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that overcomes your inabilities with his power and enables you to articulate the gospel in ways you never thought you possibly could. It's the Holy Spirit who enables you to see open doors for the gospel and step through them with boldness, compassion, and love. See, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he always shows up in power. About a year and a half or so ago, a year ago, I think, actually, we worked through the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. He dies, and Jesus shows up three days after, he, after Lazarus has died, four days, I think, and um, he encounters Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. They come to him and they say, Lord, if you had showed up earlier, our brother would not have died. And as Jesus stands on the outskirts of their town, knowing Lazarus is buried and in a grave, Jesus tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. And what Jesus is teaching them then that they will understand at his resurrection is that resurrection is not just something Jesus does, it's who he is. So everywhere Jesus shows up, new life comes. Everywhere Jesus shows up, dead things come back to life. Now in Acts 1.8, we're going to learn a similar principle about the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What I hope you understand this morning is power is not just something the Holy Spirit comes and gives you. Power is who he is. An experience of the Spirit will always be an experience of supernatural power. And Jesus is telling you, 
this is what's going to reside in you. Right? The, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are demonstrations of power. In moments when I have no self-control, the Spirit gives it to me, right? In moments where I've got a lot to say to someone that has just kind of set me off a little bit, the Spirit comes in power and helps me shut my mouth. In spaces where you don't have any love for people who are different than you or done wrong to you, the Spirit comes in power and enables you to do that. The gifts of the Spirit, when they're on display in our life, whether it's messages in tongues or wisdom or knowledge or healing or faith, those are all gifts of power. It's a supernatural presence at work in you. And so what Jesus is saying is you're not just seeking some power that is separate from God or given apart from him, but you're seeking the spirit. But when you receive the spirit, you will always receive power. And so no matter what your identity is, no matter what your responsibilities are, when you follow Jesus and you're filled with the spirit, you are now a man of power. You are a woman of power. And Everything God calls you to do, he has now empowered you to do. So for the spirit-filled believer, it means I can't and I won't have to be removed from our vocabulary. And we just say, Lord, wherever you call and whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it and I'm going to trust that you're going to work to accomplish your will by the power of your spirit inside of me. And, in, and Jesus even gives us a beautiful example of what this looks like. So if you think of the life of Peter, in Matthew chapter 26, we find Peter uh, denying Jesus. Jesus is arrested, and, and he's told Peter at the Last Supper, he says, hey, uh, one of you here is going to deny me. And Peter, he, Peter's like a lot of us. He speaks before he thinks. And so he shoots his mouth off and says, surely not, Lord, not me. And Jesus says, yep, you, not just once, but three times. Peter responds, I'm not going to do it, Jesus. I, I mean, Peter's that guy, like, I was this way as a kid. I think I still am a little as an adult. The best way to get me to do something was to tell me I couldn't do it, right? Like, if Angie will come to me, it, it can be basic stuff. Like, I can't open this jar. I doubt you can get it either. Like, all right, I will dislocate my elbow before this jar is going to win, right? Like, it's just, it's this proof of, like, there's something. And Peter has this. Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, no, Lord. Even if all of these people abandon you, I will die with you. Jesus is arrested in quick succession. succession Peter denies him three times. Never before big uh, armies, never before the, the religious leaders, but just in small circles with servants. The last time Jesus denies him, Peter goes so far as to say, I don't, I don't even know that man. And he calls down curses on himself, separating him from Jesus. And then it says the rooster crows and Peter goes off to weep. Well, 40 days later, he has this experience at the ascension where Jesus tells him, go back to Jerusalem and wait. 40 days after that, he has this experience on the day of Pentecost where he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit with 120 other people who are gathered in this upper room with him. They're near the temple to where the, the crowds who've come in to celebrate Pentecost, they hear the uproar in the upper room and they begin to ask, what's going on in there? And these men must be drunk because all of them, as the Spirit speaks through them, all of this gathered crowd begins to hear them declaring the glories of God in their native languages that those people in the upper room have not learned. So they begin to whisper, maybe they're drunk, maybe this, maybe that. Instead, in, in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter, the same one that couldn't even look a servant girl in the eye and say, yes, I know him, gets up and says, men of Jerusalem, listen to me. 
I've got something to tell you. And he tells them the story of Jesus. He tells them how he fulfills the prophecies. He talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He points them to Jesus as the only source of salvation. And on that day, the church launches with several thousand people who put their faith in Jesus Christ because Peter told his story. And the only difference between Good Friday Peeper, Peter, Peeper, Peter, and Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, Peter. The only difference, two things. He's encountered the resurrected Jesus, and he's been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at your life and you think, I'm, I'm weak, I'm ineffective, I'm not doing what I want to do, I don't have a story worth telling, it's the same two steps. Encounter the resurrected Jesus and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we say yes to Jesus and we receive the power of his Holy Spirit, he equips us to tell our story everywhere we go. And he finishes by telling the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're, you're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're going to go everywhere. This is where you're going to tell all of these stories. And it's the same thing for you and I today. When Jesus comes and calls you, the first place you're going to tell people about him is right here where you are. Here is our Jerusalem. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was, hey, now go right back into the city and tell people who look like you, talk like you, and think like you what Jesus has done for you. It's the same for us. The first place you're going to witness is always with your family and friends. It's always in the people who are closest to you. And then after that, Jesus is going to tell you, now, now go to Judea. Go there. Right? So you start here, then you go there. Well, there is Judea, which is still like kind of in the Jerusalem area. It's people who still generally look like them, think like them, talk like them, have a similar worldview. So for you and I, if your Jerusalem is your friends, your family, your closest circles, then your Judea is just kind of expanding that circle out a little bit. Maybe it's engaging in a ministry with someone who lives in a different part of town. Maybe it's working with someone in a different department at work, getting out of your circle at school. It's saying, hey, like we, we've got a lot in common, but maybe we don't interact a lot, but I'm going to intentionally build a relationship here so I can tell the story of Jesus to you. And then Jesus says, and you'll be my witnesses in Samaria. And you have to think that's when the disciples thought, really? Samaria? Like it doesn't hit us quite the same way. But let's say you're a dyed-in-the-wool Sooner fan, and Jesus says, hey, you're going to be, my, God, you're gonna be my, my witness, and you're going to start in Norman, and then you're going to go to OKC, and then you're going to Stillwater. Right? And, and in that space, it's like, oh, really? Stillwater? The orange? Doesn't work. Jesus, why? You know, but, but this is their response. Samaria, that represented people who were different than them, people who spoke a different language, people who practiced a different form of religion. People of different ethnicity, different nationality, people with a different value system. And what Jesus is making clear is your story is not just effective to people who know you, think like you, and look like you. But your story is the story of Jesus, which is for everyone everywhere. So you've got to cross some lines of culture. You've got to cross some lines of race. You've got to cross the lines of economics. You've got to cross the lines of politics. You've got to cross the lines of education. And the call of Christ to us is still the same today. We can't be content to build a church where everyone looks like us, thinks like us and talks like us. We have to cross the lines. We live in such a multicultural world that some of us can have cross-cultural experiences by crossing the street in our neighborhood. And yet we're not doing it because we're scared of what's different. And we think our story won't work there. And yet what Jesus is telling us is, hey, just go. Because this power is bigger than you. 
This power is bigger than people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, vote like you. This power is bigger than how much money you make or they make. It's bigger than are you scared of their part of town or not. So you've got to cross the lines. We have to be intentional to find people who are different than us and not see that as a reason to separate, but instead see it as an opportunity to go and learn and build bridges and relationships to tell the story of what Jesus has done in our life. And then he says, and and after you've gone to Samaria, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. You and I are here today because the first century church was obedient to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And none of us were in Jerusalem. We weren't in Judea. We weren't in Samaria. We were far, far away from there. And yet someone went and the church has continued to go from those two centuries since. We take the responsibility of any time we identify a place in the world where people don't know Jesus, it's our job to go. It's our job to tell. And so we do that at Christian Chapel through our Kingdom Builders Giving. We're supporting people working all over the world with special emphasis on those working among unreached people groups. And yet I believe there are also people in the room this morning that God has been stirring in your heart that there is something beyond Tulsa for you. There's something beyond your experience right now. There's, there are people in the room online with us that, that you're going to be the ones who go to the ends of the earth. That you're going to launch out from here. Some of you, you're going to go as formal missionaries. You're going to go through application processes. You're going to be appointed by church organizations. And you're going to be sent out to plant churches to preach the gospel. Others of you, you're going to go to the ends of the earth by doing the things you're currently doing. You're just going to take the international version of your job. Right? You're, some of you, you're going you're to take that study abroad, not as a chance to get away from mom and dad, but as a chance to go to a place to share the gospel with people who aren't like you in a place that you've never been. Some of you, you're going to marry someone who comes from a different country and you're going to go back home with them. But you go back home to tell the story of Jesus. That the call of the believer is everywhere we go and everything we do, we are witnesses. This is who we are. And we can't help but tell the story of all that we've seen and heard. And when we tell that story by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, it's powerful and it's effective. We exist as a church today because 2,000 years ago, a group of men and women decided to go back to Jerusalem and wait. And they received the Holy Spirit. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, they started where they were and the gospel spread everywhere. And we now get that same joy of telling God's story in our closest circles, expanding outward until everyone everywhere has the opportunity to hear. But it begins with two things, a relationship with Jesus and a surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not capable of executing God's plans in our power. We need the Holy Spirit. So if you'll stand with me, if you're able, I want to pray for you. We're going to pray a couple prayers. First, to surrender to Jesus, and secondly, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're in the room or online with us today, and you know, I I don't have a story because I've never started that relationship. Today, you can. Today, you can find your identity as a son or a daughter of God. It's a very simple prayer. You're simply praying, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you take away all of my sin and will you help me to receive my identity as your son or your daughter? As you do that, you move from darkness to light, from death to life, and you become a follower of Christ. 
It's the easiest and best decision you will ever make with your life. If you're in the room and and you want to do that, I'm going to encourage you in a moment to head back to the prayer room. Let us pray with you and celebrate with you. If you're online, you can do that at christianchapel.com slash prayer. But we want you to have that experience. We want you to tell the story of what you have seen and heard. Jesus has plans for you, plans of salvation, plans of restoration, plans of hope and provision and new life. But it begins by surrendering your life to him. And then for the rest of us, if, if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to take a moment and lead us in a couple prayers of surrender to the Holy Spirit. So we take your hands with me. We put them out front, palms towards heaven. Jesus, we believe that we are your witnesses. Lord, we have seen, we have heard, we've experienced your grace and your new life. We've known the cleansing power of your forgiveness. We've seen your provision at work in our lives. We know the peace, the hope, the joy, the life that you have brought. And now, Lord, we hear your description that we are to be witnesses everywhere we go and in everything we do. And we recognize, Lord, that we cannot do that in our own power. And so, Holy Spirit, we come in this moment and we invite your power and your presence. Will you fill us with your spirit? Will you baptize us with your power? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come not just in the room, but into our hearts and into our lives. We put ourselves in a a position to receive your presence, to receive your power, to receive this gift that Jesus has given to us. So we begin to pray individually, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Holy Spirit, come into my relationships. Holy Spirit, invade my home. Holy Spirit, come and renew my mind. Holy Spirit, come and empower my speech. Holy Spirit, come and give me eyes to see the world as you see it. Holy Spirit, come, convict me of sin. Holy Spirit, come and reveal righteousness. Holy Spirit, come and sow peace and joy, love and hope. Holy Spirit, come and release your gifts of knowledge and wisdom, of discernment and faith. Holy Spirit, come and do all in me and through me that you desire. Holy Spirit, I come and I recognize my weakness and inability, and I see you as the answer Christ has. So Holy Spirit, I do not come in my own righteousness. I do not come with any sense of entitlement, but simply as a child of God saying, I'm here to receive what Jesus says he has for me. So Holy Spirit, will you come in power? Will you come in might? Will you come personally and remind us that you are not just for others, but you are for me? You come to change my heart and mind. You come to empower my speech and my actions. You come to use my story to invite others into your story. Holy Spirit, come. In this room, in this moment, give us powerful experiences of you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.